Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello, I'm James Rogers, and this is the History Hit World Wars podcast, a podcast dedicated to that turbulent period in history between 1914 and 1945. Now, by March 1942, the British position in Burma had rapidly weakened, deteriorated, with the capital Ragoon and its vital port lost. As the Japanese pushed relentlessly forward, the remaining surviving Allied troops carried out a five-month slogging fighting retreat through to India across a thousand miles of dense and difficult terrain. Once in India, however, the British and Indian troops, well, they had to stand firm as part of a broader push by the Southeast Asia Command to try and reverse the losses in the region. Fought between March 8th and July 18th, 1944, the battles of Imphal and Kohima on the Indian border were a turning point in this most gruelling campaign. In Kohima alone, a few thousand British and Indian troops faced up to 15,000 Japanese soldiers as the Allies held a tight defensive grip onto this important strategic chokehold. At some points this saw fighting as close as 200 metres away from each other. In this episode, first recorded for Dan Snow's History Hit, we welcome award-winning historian, writer and broadcaster James Holland to discuss these decisive battles that led to this defeat of the Japanese in the region and acted as a springboard for Allied victory and the regaining of Burma. today to talk about your TV projects, which you have done for HistoryHit.TV. When you went to northeast India, yes. to places where very few people have been for decades. Look, very few historians have been for decades. Yeah, well, it's really interesting. So um, when we think of the Burma campaign, we think of it all being in sort of Burma and in the jungle and all the rest of it. But actually, one of the key, most crucial battles of all was actually around Imphal. And added onto that was the Battle of Kohima, which is part of the bigger Imphal battle but sometimes it's sort of seen as a separate battle but actually it's one big campaign one big battle that happens in the spring and summer of 1944 and that is actually in northeast india as you correctly say um and actually it's in manipur state and nagaland well nagaland we have been able to get to for a little bit so it's been possible to go to the tennis court at kahima the, the infamous tennis court there um and you can go to kahima reasonably easily it's still not the easiest place to get to but you can get there 
But Manipur State, absolutely not. There's been a insurgency there. It's been very difficult to get in. And when we went there back in March and filmed this program, we were among the very, very first people since the end of the war to go to some of the corners of this battlefield. And it's really interesting. One of the episodes in the Battle of Imphal was this stand that took place at a place called Shangshak. Now, Shangshak is this tiny village on the top of a hill in the middle of this sort of rolling jungle hills. You know, when you're thinking slightly exotic kind of Burmese jungle and hills and, you know, fighting the Japanese in the Second World War, this is what you're thinking. It, it just doesn't disappoint in any way whatsoever. Windy, wiggly tracks up to this kind of sort of, you know, wooden shack village with corrugated roofs and palms and ferns and very sort of green and fecund and everything and dusty and sort of... It was just the most amazing place. No one's ever heard of Shangshak. It's just completely erased from history. And yet it's one of the great British, stroke Indian, stands of the Second World War. And... I was absolutely cosmic, and no one has been there. And even when, before we got there, they kept saying, our guys out there kept saying, well, we're going to try and get you to Shangshak, but we might not be able to. And I was sort of, you know, Shangshak, you know, whatever, you know, couldn't care less. Because I, I, I hadn't sort of, at that point, properly read up about it. And then I did, and I was like, God, please get me to Shangshak, please get me to Shangshak. And we got there. And, and it was literally, we got permission the day before. And just to get there, we had to go through kind of something like three checkpoints with the Assam rifles um, um, to get up there. It was absolutely amazing. So I was so jealous of this trip. I was absolutely desperate to come. Um, but uh, I, we'll go on another adventure again soon, I'm sure. But um, tell me about the tell me about the campaign. Kim Imphal, uh, the Japanese pushing into having driven the British out of Southeast Asia, humiliating Malaysia, Singapore, Burma. They're now pushing into the heart of the British Raj. Is this a full invasion of India or is this just a sort of reconnaissance in force? Well, it's, it, do you know what? It's actually a bit of both. And the interesting thing about this, and the interesting thing about the whole kind of Burma campaign, Southeast Asia campaign, is I think people kind of know little bits about it. You know, they've read that brilliant George MacDonald Fraser book, Called Safe Out Here. You know, they've heard of Slim, they've heard of like, Ara Khan, you know, they've maybe heard of Kahima and Infar, but no one quite knows how it all fits together. Um, so just very, very quickly, you know, what, what happens is they get pushed out of Burma in, in first half of 19. 42 um and then they try and get and then there's a monsoon so it you know this is jungle this is the infrastructure in this area is absolutely zip um there's no roads it's just muddy tracks and when the monsoon comes you can't pass them um there's huge wide rivers um it's completely remote it's very hard to supply the front line um so in 1942 they try and get into the arakan which is now rohingya state you know this, what, this is where all the rohingyas are coming from that's in the news at the moment this is north west Burma. And they try and go in and make an absolute hash of it, get thrown back again. So then they've got to kind of wait another year to kind of until the monsoons are over before they can try again. So the summer of 1943, it's, it's monsoon season again because they can't do anything. But the morale of the army is absolutely rock bottom. Also, lots and lots of disease. So people are really suffering with malaria. And that is getting you out of the battlefront and taking you quite a long way to hospitals in Bengal and all the rest of it. It's a really inefficient way of, 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 of fighting. And also people just not properly trained for what they're doing. They're still doing kind of, you know, standard kind of um, infantry drills and artillery drills that you would use in Europe, which, of course, just doesn't work. Um, at all in the jungle. And what the Japanese are very, very good at doing is sort of um, infiltration tactics um, and sort of thinking outside the box and doing non-orthodox kind of tactics. What the British, British realise is that actually if you can harness air power as well, then suddenly you're in business. Because not only can you can train and, and you start using the jungle as your friend rather than seeing it as your enemy, you can also um, 
hold your ground and resupply from air. So Spitfires start arriving in, in, the, in the autumn of 1943, and they're better than the, the um, Japanese Army Air Force Oscars, which are a bit like Zeros, but, but you know, that's uh, their mainstay fighter. And Spitfires are better than that. And they put on ground, the RF bring over ground units and all that kind of stuff and radar and, and so on and ground controllers. And suddenly they start getting control of the skies. The Oroquette starts, starts getting control of the skies, which means you can start doing airdrops with Dakota transports and all the rest of it. And this is where the Americans come in and they're brilliant at it. I mean, lots of British crews as well, but overall run by the Americans. And, um, and so they have this great victory in the Arakan in the early part of 1944, where the Japanese try to outflank the British, try to surround them, the British hold their ground, the British Indians hold their ground in a place called the Admin Box and win and decimate the Japanese because the Japanese are, they're able to move fast because they're very lightly armed and they're very lightly equipped and that also means very lightly equipped with food. The whole point is you, you, you capture, you defeat your enemy and feed off them. If you deny them that food, then they pretty soon start to kind of degrade in a trip pretty darn quick and that's what happens. So not unlike the Soviets on the Eastern Front, you just... By not panicking when you're surrounded, just standing your ground, realising you might lose communications with your rear areas for a bit, but basically it's okay, your enemy are overextended, you can actually hold them back. Exactly that. And the architect of this really is Bill Slim, who is acting Eastern Army commander in the late summer and early autumn of 1943. And then Mountbatten comes along. Mountbatten is a shock appointment to many people you know he's young he's got a kind of fractionally mixed record but but he's young he's inexperienced really and he's suddenly made supreme ally commander in southeast asia and he comes along meets meets slim at, at slim's headquarters in barrackpore which is just north of of calcutta um and he goes i like the cut of your jib you're, you're my man to be the new army commander and he goes well you know uh, don't you think you want to check with a few other people first he goes no i'm the boss I, i'll do what i like i like you you're, you're my man and he appoints him and it's a really really fantastically shrewd um decision and appointment and slim has already been trying to work out how you get the army out out there kind of back on track vigorous jungle training forward malaria units so that you're not kind of taken out for three months you're out for kind of 10 days uh, um everyone trained in jungle tactics from you know cooks to mechanics to everybody um better food better supply units all this kind of stuff there's 30 different ration scales in what becomes 14th army every single day with all your kind of rajputs and sikhs and punjabis and nepalese and and so on and so forth i mean really it's a it's a it's, it's a kind of logistics challenge that just makes your head hurt. But the first victory, the first time that these new theories, this new training, this new approach, air supplies and all the rest of it, puts the test is at the admin box in February 1944. And it is a fantastic turning point. And it makes Slim realise that actually he can, he can win here. Uh, and the, and the, the thought was the only way to win in Burma is by outflanking out with amphibious operations, which, you know, on paper... Britain and the Allies are kind of well equipped with, but actually because of the huge demands of, of Anzio in Italy, um, of um, um, Anvil in southern France, of D-Day, of course, you know, all that shipping's been sucked up, and, of course, what's going on in the Pacific. Um, there's not much shipping left, so Slim is basically told you're going to have to go do it the hard way. And what he realises is that actually what he should do is lure the Japanese into northeast India, around Imphal, where there is a, there is, it's surrounded by mountains, surrounded by hills, but around Imphal there is this plain. And where's a plane, you can have airfields. So six airfields around the town of this otherwise rather insignificant town of Imphal. Uh, and so his plan, and it's a really, really daring one, an audacious one, 
is to lure the Japanese in, then retreat to, to within, you know, comparatively small distance on the centre of Imphal. Make sure you don't lose the airfields. But as you retreat, do a fighting retreat, which really grinds down the attacking force, the Japanese, so that by the time the main battle really happens... They're already completely stuffed. You know, they're exhausted, they're running short of ammunition, their supply lines are absolutely enormous. Then you pour in more supplies yourself by air, and then you counterattack. And in a nutshell, that is what happens. But because this is war, and because even the best plans go awry, it doesn't go quite as smoothly. And what's really interesting is that the Japanese high command, they think of the Operation Imphal, which is known as Operation Hago, they see it as just a means of knocking back the British so that whatever happens, they don't invade Burma. But Mutaguchi, who is the area, you know, the 15th Army commander, what he recognises is that if they can actually not just take Imphal, but take Dimapur, which is 120 miles to the north, on a single road that leads from Dimapur through Kohima down to Imphal, if they can get up to Dimapur, which is the gateway to Bengal, then Bengal, which is notoriously left-wing and anti-British, might rise up in... Um, and rebellion against the British and the whole of the rest of India will follow. It means that all the American bases in Assam, which is supplying um, air supplies to the Chinese across what's known as the hump over the Himalayas, those airfields will be captured. So the supply lines to China will be stopped. Suddenly, they might actually turn around the whole war. And, and actually, that's not as far-fetched as it might sound. So although the Imperial High Commander said, just get in file and this is a holding operation this is an offensive defensive operation what mutaguchi is thinking is i could be the daddy here i could i could really kind of you know be the hero i could save japan and don't forget this is 1944 this is a time where you know fortunes of the japanese are going sort of badly downhill if you're looking for plump lips that last you need to know about juvederm lip fillers with Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. 
so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Okay, so they advance into uh, towards Kahima and Imphala. Now, why, what, what is it, from what you saw out there on the ground, do, do you get a sense of the, of, of, did it give you a different sense, a, a more vivid sense of why those battles have got such an extraordinary reputation? Yeah, I mean, the one thing that is just abundantly clear when you see it is the space, the size, the scale of it, and just how remote it is. It's remote in March 2017 when we were careering around. Just think how remote it is in, you know, 1944. I mean, I remember standing at the cemetery in in, um, in Kahima and there was this grave of this young guy from Dorset, <clears throat> you know, just down the road from us, Dan. And, and it said... Um, to the world you were a soldier but to us you were the world and you just think of this poor guy and 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 you think of his parents back home and you think how far he is i mean this is this is like a different universe um and and so you're you're constantly reminded all the time you're out there of just how far this is you know at one point we came across this track that this road that actually been built by kind of by by naggers at the behest of british engineers back in 1943-44 and it is your absolutely classic. We've all seen the photos of it. Dirt road hewn through the jungle, you know, carved out the side of a hill. And you're suddenly thinking, what, this, is, this is a World War II road. That This is what we're talking about here. And you're thinking, it's a nice dry day here. You know, the sun is beating down. Add a little bit of rain. Whoa, you know, you're not even going to get, you're not going to get a Jeep up this. I mean, it's just, you're, you're going nowhere. So the logistics of it are just absolutely mind-boggling but you're also just really struck by the audacious nature of the slim plan of just you really need nerves of steel you really need to be confident that all your guys all your corps commanders your divisional commanders your brigade commanders your battalion commanders and down all get it they know what they've got to do and and the, the the synchronizing of that is that is really challenging. It's a really, really ballsy plan. And it almost doesn't work because when the Japanese first attack, they, are, they attack a week earlier than the British intelligence has led them to believe. So they're slightly caught off. And there's this amazing guy called Punch Cowan. He's a corps commander, divisional commander. Uh, and he reacts quickly and he knows what he's supposed to do, but he, he realises he needs to do what he needs to do a week earlier than he thought he was going to have to do it. And he organises his men and they start retreating down the Tidim Road towards Imphal and they do it absolutely brilliantly. Uh, and it is this really decisive moment. The other one is, of course, is at Shangchak, which I keep banging on about, where the 50th Indian Parachute Brigade are making a stand, con- commanded by Brigadier Hope Thompson, who is 31 I mean, can you imagine? You're in charge of a... You know, this was just a holding position. This was not supposed to... They were not supposed to be in the battle line. Much bigger, stronger uh, Japanese forces come across the jungle, cross-country, and attack. And the first kind of... The first Indian troops that meet them are absolutely decimated. And then Hope Thompson makes this stand at this village called Changchak. And it holds up the Japanese for about four or five days. And the speed with which they get to... Shangshak is something like, you know, a week or something from the, from the, from the board, Burmese border. It then takes them a further 10 days to get to Kahima because they're already so exhausted and, and just sort of degraded by the experience of this stand at, at Shangshak. 
which makes all the difference in the subsequent battle that happens at Kahima. Because it is, you know, it is about hours and minutes and days, you know, the, the difference between victory and defeat there. We should just quickly mention the tennis court, which is probably the thing that people remember the most. Yes. What, what is what is the te- tennis court, the, the myth of people fighting from one side of the tennis court to another for days on end? Is that true? Yeah, it absolutely is. It really, really is. And, it's, and it's, it's amazing because, you know, Kahima in 1944 was this tiny little outpost. It was a kind of sort of Naga village. Then it was a whole load of sort of British huts. There was a district commissioner's hut. He had this sort of bungalow. And behind him on this terrace out of this kind of hill, this jungled hill, was this tennis court that went with his you know, district commissioner's colonial bungalow. Um, now it's a kind of heaving concrete jungle of quarter of a million people. And it's kind of quite hard to to kind of sort of take that away. You need, you need some super CGI to kind of reduce it to, to what it used to be. But, um, but yeah, it was. This was one of the most bitter, bitter players, Garrison Hill. And um, it's, it's, it's amazing to be there. And actually, one of the guys I was with did find a, a .303 shell, rifle shell. Yes, you find all sorts of interesting things. What else? What else is in the landscape? What, were you, what was that? I mean, you, you went to the village of the Stand that I now can't pronounce. So I'm not going to try, but Shangshak. Shangshak. But what, what were the other particular places that were very special that you got to and, and yeah. felt that, that time hadn't really moved on very much? Yeah, it was interesting. There was a couple of places where we did a kind of then and now. So I had I had a whole load of photographs from 1944, and it was this one place where there's this river crossing, uh, and actually it's the um, I think it was the Fifth Indian Division a crossing. And there's a very, very comparatively famous photograph of these Sherman tanks with infantry crossing this river and you suddenly go oh my god that's it and it, you know it's unchanged i mean it is you could just half close your eyes picture the troops picture the tank and you are there uh, it was absolutely amazing but there were two places there was shenham saddle which is on the kind of um eastward side of infal so there's a plane then the, the hills sort of rise up all around it um and i guess it's kind of you know uh, maybe kind of 35 40 miles from infal suddenly you climb up out of the out of the plane and there you are on these hills. And again, it's just unchanged. You know, you, you can see the road sort of wiggling around the hills. That's the road through which a lot of the British came in 1942 when they retreated. It's along the road that the Japanese, a lot of the Japanese advanced in 1944. It's along that road that the British re-enter Burma in late 1944 and 1945. You know, this is one of the great thoroughfares. And you're standing right on it. And we're finding all these trenches. I mean, you know, ri- I've been on so many World War II battlefields. There is nothing to touch this in terms of original trenches, mortar pits. Okay, so the, the grass and, and stuff has all grown over and bamboo has all grown over it. But you can walk around in it. I mean, they are there. And it's the same at Shangshan. We found all these trenches. No, no one has set foot in these since end of the war, I would say. So there you go. James Holland, World War II, world expert on the Second World War, says it's the best Second World battlefield you've ever been to. Absolutely, definitely. Yeah, it was amazing. And now he's swilling his and now he's swilling his pint. Um, James, what? Uh, well, let's let's finish up by saying what was the impact of this battle? The impact was actually huge because it really, really did consign Japanese hopes to you know the dustbin. I mean, they just weren't going to go anywhere. And, and at the end of it, they were absolutely smashed. At this time, there, were, there was no bigger Japanese force that had been engaged anywhere in the world um, than at. Game in fire. And if you sort of think about it, that does actually make sense because there's a limit on these kind of Pacific atolls, even somewhere quite big like Guadalcanal. You can only fit so many people on those islands. Um, but obviously, in a landmass like Burma, you can, in India, you can put as many as you like. So, you know, we're talking a lot of men, and a lot of them just never get home. 
um, and the trails of the Japanese as they retreat. They finally retreat these emaciated bodies just left by the side of the road, absolutely starving. Um, you know, we went to, uh, as a companion piece to our, our, our film, we went to interview the brilliant Robin Rowlands, which I think is going to be coming on History Hit TV soon as well. Um, and Robin was amazing because he said that the thing that affected him most of the whole experience and he was um you know he was at the admin box he was at uh, kahima he was then in the final victory in burma in 1945 the worst thing he ever saw was these this waste of detritus from the retreating japanese leaving kahima this road passing through these valleys and it's just everywhere you look there were just dead japanese rubbish litter a kind of you know th- that was it's the road of bones from, from Fergal Keane's book I mean that that's what he's talking about I mean just absolutely horrendous um, and they never recovered from that but they were still a pretty formidable force in Burma itself and the victory that was subsequently um, Slim uh, um, managed to pull off in in 1945 is another just amazing story I mean it, you know we, we've we've put Slim on this pedestal as most people who know what they're talking about would say that Slim is the greatest general we've had in the Second World War, if not ever. And now that I've had a chance to look at these battles in some detail, you know, it's hard to argue against that. I mean, he really was the complete general. And actually the battle plan that he puts together for the final victory in Burma to completely, finally, 100% eradicate the Japanese in Burma is every bit as brilliant as the one for Imphal and audacious and daring and ballsy. I mean, just really, really good. And, and, and it's, it's what makes a complete general is when you're tactically sound, you get the big pitch, you get the strategy, but you also have that operational clout as well. And, and that is what Slim has. He, he's got the charisma and boldness of the best generals. He's got the tactical nous. He sees the big picture, but operationally, whew, you know, that's what you need in, in that part of the world. And he is second to none. Speaking of second to none, James, thank you for coming on this podcast. You are second to none when it comes yeah, to yeah. Uh, the Second World War. Oh, uh, it's always a pleasure. And always a pleasure to meet in this pub. It's not the first time. No, we, we, have mean, our, we have semi-regular strategy meetings. Strategy, strategy meetings in, in, in the pub. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. 
And before you go, remember, as a Warfare listener, you get a special discount at History Hit. Subscribers get access to blissfully, uninterrupted, ad-free podcasts and thousands of hours of history documentaries. You've got everything from the American Revolution to my own documentaries like Traces of War, Weapons of War and 24 Hours in Normandy, where I follow in the footsteps of the Green Howards on D-Day from their beach landings to being awarded the Victoria Cross and all the way through their first day where they made it seven miles inland, further than any other British or American unit. So head over to historyhit.com forward slash subscribe or follow the link in the show notes and use the code WARFARE to get 50% off your next three months. That's the code WARFARE to get 50% off. And if you're an Apple listener, you can subscribe for new ad-free episodes within the app. So give it a go. I know you're gonna love it.